Father, um, we adore Jesus. Uh, We're encouraged by his example in the desert, the way he was filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with the truth of the scripture and that he really did shut down his adversary with that blessing that was being carried inside of him with the truth that he internalized. And Lord, we need that time in the desert as well to hear your word and take it in for ourselves so that when the day of testing comes, we're ready. Uh, We're ready not only with an answer, uh, Lord, but we're ready with the very strength uh, that comes from standing in the presence of God. So would you now be present to us through your Holy Spirit, open your word, give us the strength that we need for the trials we have. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, good to see you all. And um, welcome to the first Sunday in Lent, which happens to be on Daylight Savings Day where you lose an hour. It's so fitting. Um, the, the backdrop is also very extra, I know. Um, this is from the high school, actually, but it fits our season, so all things do work together for good. Um, let's see here. Oh, that'd be great. Um, yeah, thank you, Susan. Um, so I was thinking this week about road trips, and if you've ever been on a road trip, uh, you know the value of a good playlist. Do, you ever, do people use playlists anymore on road trips? I know CDs have gone out of style, and certainly cassette tapes have as well. Um, but uh, a road trip can be transformed with a good playlist, can it not? It can keep you awake, for one. Uh, it can shorten the trip, and um, without us even knowing it, it kind of also sort of becomes this, it captures all the meaning of the what the trip means and who you're with and that season of your life. And I mean, years later, you can plug in that, that uh, uh, playlist, and all of a sudden, it just like totally takes you back to the journey and what it meant and what that season of life like was for you. Um, and the Psalms of Ascents, Psalm 120 to Psalm 135, is a, in many ways a road trip playlist for the people of Israel, that every like three times a year they would go up to Jerusalem for one of the feasts, the Feast of uh, uh, Passover, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, and um, the, the Feast of Pentecost. And they'd go up for these high feast days. And in order to, to make the journey shorter and also express the fears and the thanksgiving that was inside their hearts, they would pull out what one author called an old dog-eared songbook. And they'd sing it together. They would sing it to each other and they would sing it to God together on the way to Jerusalem. And um, we are opening up this dog-eared songbook for ourselves to sing of the grace, to sing our fears, and uh, to prepare us. Like the journey is preparing us for Holy Week, where we are, spiritually speaking, in Jerusalem with Jesus. We're walking with him through the whole drama of that week, and our whole life is getting reshaped by the story of Jesus that week in Jerusalem. But we've got to get ready. I mean, it's an intense week. It's an intense journey. And um, the Psalms of Ascent are going to be our uh, songs that we open up during Lent and explore together. So I invite you to turn to the first one we're going to look at, Psalm 121, a cry for help, a cry uh, of help realizing that our help comes from the, um, the Lord, our God. 
One of the things I appreciate about this particular psalm is that it starts out in the first person. That, uh, as our as our readers so helpfully demonstrated for us, it, it starts out with an I. It starts out with someone just crying out from the depths of their individual heart and soul, as they say, "I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come?" And uh, you see them needing help and lifting up their eyes to the hills or maybe the mountains that sort of maybe surround Jerusalem or that they can see on the way to Jerusalem, which was at the top of a mountain? Why would they be lifting their eyes to the hills looking for help? Um, Maybe the mountains represented like strength and protection for this particular pilgrim as you would encounter all kinds of, you know, bandits and dangers and as we'll see later, sunstroke. Maybe they saw like the mountains is that refuge that you run to where you can't be hurt. And maybe that's why they look to the mountains for help. It could also be that the mountains represented help from the outside, from some people who were coming over the edge or already at the top of the mountain who could, who could sort of rally like, a, like an army that was friendly to your cause that could, that could come rounding over the top of the mountain and make the bad guys go away. There were also pagan religious groups that would function at the tops of mountains. That was their worship center. And you could actually go to the top of these mountains and pay some money, and they would give you like an amulet or a charm and uh, pray a prayer of protection over you as you travel. And it could have been a temptation for them. Maybe the mountains represented stability in a very unstable situation. If you're a pilgrim, your whole life is in flux, and nothing is, nothing is set, and you're sleeping in a different place every night. And so maybe it's like, man, the mountains represent something that doesn't change. It's this point of reference around which I understand my world. What mountains catch your eye when you're under stress? Um, It could be strong people. You know, strong people can be like mountains, strong women, strong men who promise to make the bully go away or to make the problems go away, who will protect you and rally to your cause, fix your problem. Uh, Or it could be like a strong institution that has a long memory or, or maybe um, a tradition, a strong tradition. Those can be like mountains in a chaotic world where everything has changed, but man, I've got this. It's always been there for me, this tradition, this school, uh, this church, this church tradition, this government, this military. These have always been there for me, and maybe that's the mountain we look to. Man, we're like, we're needing help, and I look my, lift my eyes to the mountain. The mountain could be simply anything that takes the anxiety away. Anything in your life that feels secure and feels strong and feels predictable. It could be as simple as a workout regimen in the morning or a glass of wine in the evening or looking up your retirement account. Uh, It could be anything that feels secure. And when we're under stress, that's where our eyes look. That's what catches our eye. Um, I was in a situation a couple of years ago. I found myself looking to the mountains for help as I was, and my family was going through a series of trials. Uh, at the time, we were living in a two-flat, and so we were on the second and third floors. That was our unit. The first floor was a one-floor unit, and so in our six years in the second and third floor unit, there was a series of tenants that would come and go. They'd be there for a year, maybe two years, and then they'd move on maybe because we made so much noise. But there was one year where a group of tenants moved in, 
and they brought with them some very highly destructive habits. Um, one of the things that they did was they began to smoke indoors, and the secondhand smoke wafted into our children's rooms at night or during the day or whenever they decided to smoke. And so um, uh, that, that secondhand smoke, not only did it make it harder for us to relax inside, but it also just gave us that anxiety of, is it going to damage our kids' long-term health? And is there going to be any end to this? Are we going to have to move out? Um, they would also begin to run the vacuum and cook noxious smelling food right as we were trying to go to bed. And so when you've got four kids and sleep is really precious and you're um, losing sleep because the vacuum's running and the food is cooking, man, it can be so frustrating and disruptive. Um, they also finally ran a uh, palm reading business out of their apartment. And I began to have some like nightmare images that would flash in my mind right as I was falling asleep and I would wake up and be awake for a long time. I didn't know when this was going to end, but I was looking to the mountains for help. Uh, several months into this situation, I got into a bike accident, just a simple hitting a pothole, going over the handlebars and hitting my face. I was knocked unconscious. I landed in the emergency room. And even though I was able to recover quickly, thankfully, um, and we had medical insurance, thankfully, we got hit with some unexpected ambulance bills and hospital bills that totally blew us away. I remember getting yet one more bill, this one, the largest one yet. And um, I was about to go do a Bible study with my son about fear. And I remember taking that with me and, and saying, August, this, this is what I'm afraid of. This is, I don't know how I'm going to pay this but I'm looking to the Lord for help. Um, not long after that, I was placed on a jury for a, murder rela- uh, a gang-related murder case. And um, that, was, that was kind of the, the, last, the last one of the trials to really hit. Um, but I remember praying specifically about the medical bill. And um, you know, to me, it would just be like, hey, just a, a, a mountain of cash actually would be really nice. And one of the things that I heard, I don't always hear from the Lord when I pray, but this is one of the times that I did. And I heard the Lord say to me in a way that I, my heart could understand clearly. It was him saying, this is a small thing for me. This is a small thing for me. And when the Lord spoke that, I felt his hugeness. I felt his authority, not only over the problem, but also over heaven and earth, over... <laughs> Money seemed so small in comparison to the holiness and the sovereignty of God. And that's really the direction that the psalm is pointing us to. It begins saying, I'm looking up for help. The rest of the psalm is talking about the Lord, his protection, his character, his nature, his hugeness, his foreverness, which I understand is not a word, but helps us understand. Uh, the nature of God as it relates to our problems and as it relates to the pilgrimage that we're on. Verse two says this, my help comes from the Lord, the maker who made heaven and earth. And I'm reminded there is that, you know, thinking of God at the beginning of creation, Genesis one and two, or he doesn't just make all those Judean mountains that the pilgrim was looking up to. And he doesn't just make the pilgrim. And he doesn't just make Israel. I mean, he creates heaven and earth He creates earth, but he also creates this whole unseen dimension that um, we can participate in, but we can't see with our physical eyes, which is the dimension of heaven. 
and this dimension where there's angels and archangels and all the company of heaven uh, and a whole drama going on that we can't see, like he's Lord over that too. And if he's Lord over heaven and earth, he's the maker of heaven and earth. Any problem is a small thing for him. Um, Because he's made strong people and strong institutions and strong traditions and strong mountains and anything else that we would look to for our salvation. Um, The mountains of this life may catch our eye, but it is the Lord that catches our life, especially when we're in trouble. I love the word help here. Our help, my help is in the name of the Lord. This is a word, it's a rich word. The Lord uses it in Genesis 2.18 to describe Eve. says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper um, who will be with him. And this companion, it's, uh, it's used for the most part of God. God's saying, I'll be your, I, I am here. I am, I, am, I am your help. I'm gonna be right by your side. It's this rich word that means one who comes to our rescue and brings just the right resources in our time of need, just the right resources in our time of need. And I certainly felt that and saw that in time. The Lord provided resources, just the right ones that I needed in that season of trial, that our family needed. Um, on the one hand, the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth. But listen, on the other hand, he's right there with you. He's like your best friend. He's like that. If you have a sibling that like, man, things go bad you calling your sibling, you're calling a parent. They're like walking with you through this. Your best friend, the Lord is like that. He may have created you. He may have created all of heaven and earth, but he cares so much. He's gonna walk with you through your trial. Um, verse three, he, uh, describes this sort of withness of God, his closeness. Um, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. You can even hear this coming from the pilgrim's friend. So you know how our psalm reading had two people. There's the first uh, pilgrim, the pilgrim of verses one and two, who's crying out to help and saying, yes, my help is in the name of the Lord. But then it's almost as if you hear like a friend coming right next to them saying, hey, uh, he's not gonna let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Um. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about Christian community and how much we need the strength of God's truth in someone else's heart and in someone else's voice when, when it's faltering in our own. Um, he says this, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him, to her. They need another Christian again and again when they become uncertain and discouraged. They need a brother or a sister to be a proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. The Christ in their own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. The Christ in their own heart is weaker than the word of Christ in their sister. Their own heart is uncertain. His brother's or his sister's heart is sure. Now, sometimes we we need that sure, certain uh, articulation of the goodness of God from a brother or a sister uh, who can deliver us God's truth in a way that our hearts can hear. Because we're like that pilgrim in verses one and two. When we're under stress, we're uncertain, we're shaken, we're feeling our weakness. Maybe we're starting to react. And so we need to hear that gospel from the outside, from our, from our friends, um, from, from the liturgy uh, on Sunday or, or in the daily office. Um, from friends, from pastors, through the preached word of God. 
This is why scripture is woven throughout our service here. It's preached and it's sung and it's, and it's proclaimed back and forth. And then in our city groups with evening prayer or Compline, we've got that just process continuing. We need that strength in the word of our brother or sister, not just in liturgy, but simply in conversation as well. Um, and then sometimes we switch roles. During the trial, my wife and I had to switch roles. Sometimes the word of Christ was sure in me, and I was speaking the gospel to her about how the Lord would see us through this. And sometimes I would be the one who was shaky, and I would need to hear the gospel and the promises of God from her. Um, uh, one of the reasons that we need this sure word of God that we see in Psalm 121 is that we are tempted when we're stressed to project onto God what we're feeling. Have you ever done that? Have you ever projected onto God your own weaknesses and just assumed, hey, God doesn't even want to hear from me right now because he's lost interest in me? One writer says this, we, we suppose that God's interest in us waxes and wanes in response to our spiritual temperature. You ever felt that? Like, my spiritual temperature is low and I'm feeling stressed. God probably doesn't want to hear from me right now. He's probably stopped paying attention. And here's, a, here's, a, here's kind of a new dimension that we need to hear of God's goodness in verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 121. Behold, which is another way of saying, hey, listen, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Okay, so, I mean, look, we all get sleepy. Um, we all, especially on Daylight Saving Sundays, uh, our, 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 our bodies can like not be keeping up with the demands of life. But he who keeps Israel doesn't slumber, he doesn't sleep, don't project the sleepiness of human beings onto the living God. And then verse five, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. You have this picture of God being sort of like a vigilant keeper, a vigilant keeper who's, who's like watching over you the same way a really tough and trustworthy shepherd would watch over his sheep, protecting sheep from wolves, protecting sheep from lions. Or maybe like, um, think about uh, like a watchman over a city who's like staying awake and, and like scanning the horizon for threats because there are precious people, his or her own family, behind those walls. And so I'm going to watch and scan the horizon I'm going to be the keeper of this city. Um, I, I was thinking about just the role that, that mothers play and, and fathers play when a new baby comes into the world and how, how much you need a vigilant keeper when you're an infant. You need someone who's going to be awake at night and who's going to respond to those cries, who's going to feed the baby, who's going to protect the baby from danger, who's going to change the baby's diaper and help the baby get back to sleep and like it... There's a constantness and a watchfulness that a baby needs. And it's not like you just set the baby loose and, okay, now you're in the world and you're crying, so I don't want to be around you anymore. It's like, no, the mother that loves that child's going to lean in when the child needs it most. And that's how God is. God's a vigilant keeper over you, whether you're sleeping, whether you're a hot mess, whether you're under stress, whatever it might be. He's watching over you. He cares about your life. Um, he also sees you. You know, he's at your right hand. He can see the impact this is having on your soul. 
on your body, the worries that you carry. Um, he's working day and night to take care of his kid. W- whether we see it or not, he's at our, the foot of our beds, watching over us as we sleep. Um, I experienced this care from God once, uh, actually right after the bike accident. For about 10 minutes, I was in a dreamlike, semi-conscious state. I don't have any memories from that time. I apparently was like talking to high schoolers that were coming back from school. And I, I mean, I was like bloody. I was like right, right there on the street. It was, uh, I was helpless. I mean, I had fallen onto Clark Street in the middle of the day. I could have been hit by a car. I had no way to take care of myself. And one of the ways the Lord cared for me was through a, a watchful neighbor who was driving by, saw me in trouble and pulled aside and got out of her car and helped me sit on the curb called the ambulance, packed up my bike, made sure I was taken care of. When I came to, I was in the ambulance, and I was being taken care of. Um, The Lord provides all kinds of ways where he keeps us. He keeps our very life, not just spiritually, but physically as well, and financially, in all kinds of ways. He's right at our side, unsleeping, protecting, and caring for us. One way that he protects us is, is from malicious forces in nature. There's a um, verse 6 talks about the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The sun can burn so hot in the Middle East that it feels like a sunstroke. Maybe you've experienced this right here in the Midwest, that the sun, though it can give you light in life, can also give you sunstroke and cancer and can seem to maliciously burn on you. Um, and uh, you may have experienced this with people. Some of you may have felt the heat from someone who hated you without cause. Have you ever felt that from family members, coworkers, your boss, people who put pressure on you, who breathe fire against you? It might be due to your commitment to Jesus that feels like a threat to them and that they hate you without cause for. Um, It might be for some other reason as well. You just feel like for whatever reason... (laughs) These people or this particular person really has it out against me. Um, I was reading about North Korean Christians this last week, which brought this into sharp relief. There was uh, someone who um, came out of a North Korean prison, and she was a Christian, and she recounted the horrors of being in the labor camp. Um, You got up at 5 a.m., and you were not given much food or drink at all, but you were made to do sort of degrading work, grueling work that broke your body. At night, if they had found out that you were a Christian, at night you were placed in a cage. The cage was uh, not tall enough to stand up fully in. You couldn't stand up in the cage, but you couldn't quite lay down and stretch out either. They made the cage so that you had to crouch and so that you were never, you were never quite comfortable. And that's where you would go at night. And then in the morning, they would get you out of the cage, and they would make you work. Um, So there's cruelty in this world, and sometimes it's aimed at us. Sometimes it's specifically designed to cut down our life or our spirits. Um, Maybe you've never thought about the moon striking you by night. Like, does the moon actually strike anybody? It's kind of beautiful, but it's also haunting. The ancients thought of the moon um, as... uh, uh, sort of symbolizing mental illness so that uh, the moon's effect on you could bring you to a place of lunacy, which is where that word comes from, or moons being moonstruck. So we might think of the moon as just emotional pain, 
spiritual pain, mental illness, anxiety, depression, the stuff that does haunt us in the middle of the night. The person who spoke about the North Korean prison camp said the worst part was not the beatings, and the worst part wasn't the cages. The worst part was the politics classes that they had to go to at night. It was twisted thinking, propaganda that was being force-fed into their souls every night. They said that was the absolute worst part of the whole experience. So where's the Lord in all this cruelty? Um, He's the vigilant keeper of our life along the pilgrim way. He's that merciful shade right at our right hand who's protecting us from the harmful rays of the sun. Um, The sun's still shining and it's still hot, but he's the shade right at your right hand protecting you um, from being burned or harmed, protecting you from the moon who can't haunt you. Um, You know, evil in this world can can attack us from the outside, but the Lord's protection is strong so that it doesn't get in the inside of our life. And this is the great truth of Romans 8, that though there's all kinds of trials that we endure in this life, ultimately it cannot get to us. Ultimately it cannot ultimately undo us with evil. If we are in Jesus, he is at our right hand, shielding us from (laughs) condemnation. Um, He's also at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And cages can't stop him from doing that. Nor can propaganda or enemies or anything seen or unseen. The Lord is our great keeper. He's our help and he's our keeper. And he does deliver us from evil. Um, Verse seven describes this. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. I think there's a couple different ways to understand this, both of which have meaning for us. Sometimes it means he actually does deliver us from the actual evil circumstances. And that's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, you know, um, Please don't put us through, deliver us from evil. Please don't put us through trials. Deliver us from the bad things of this life. And, and he does that. He does that even in North Korea. The woman who tells of what happened, you know, the Lord actually provided miraculous escape from that prison camp. Um, and we experienced this in our family as people prayed for us, prayed us through our trials. I remember we were with a small group of people who had been praying specifically for our housing situation, praying fervently for us, And while we were with them, I turned my phone back on and I got a voicemail from my landlord saying, I'm asking the tenants to leave because of a lack of payment. And man, we rejoiced and feasted together that night. It was so sweet. I can still remember them cheering for us and surrounding us in the kitchen. So sometimes the Lord does deliver us from the trial. Sometimes the Lord delivers us through the trial. And this is also important because he takes what is terrible and awful, and he redeems it, and he makes space in our soul to receive more of his glory. And this is right at the heart of the mystery of the cross of Christ, where he is able to come into the worst of situations and redeem those situations. And that's part of our journey. That's part of our preparation. In the cross of Jesus, we see that no matter how bad or unstable things are, God cares, God is present, God is near. God is not going to leave us alone. All we have to do is cry out to him in mercy. And he is ready to act in ways large and small. The Lord, our, our, he is our present help. And he's our keeper. He delivers us 
from trials and through trials. And that's true forever. It's not just true when our spiritual temperature is up. If we put our trust in Jesus, it's true forever. And Psalm 8, Psalm 121.8 brings that to a conclusion as it says, you know, you can just imagine that second pilgrim saying with all the confidence of their heart, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. From this time forth and forever. Whether you're going out or you're coming in, whether you're on the way to the holy city or coming back down to the rest of your life. The Lord God, maker of heaven and earth, the God of Israel, um, you know, he's going to restore everything and he's going to be with us. The sun might be shining in a malicious way on you as you go through trials, but the Lord's face will shine forever in the way the sun never could. The sun's going to burn out and so will any malicious force set against your life. It eventually will burn out, but, but the Lord's face shines forever. His goodness is forever. Um, and uh, I just want to encourage you this Lent um, to let the face of the Lord shine on you now as it will for all eternity. Don't be surprised, my friends, at the trials you face during Lent. I've stopped being surprised at trials during the season of Lent. Spiritual trials come up. Relational trials come up. Random trials emerge during Lent. It could be as simple as just the hunger pains or the headaches that accompany our Lenten vows and our fasts. Um, It could be as complex as a series of setbacks, um, financial, relational, and spiritual. So don't be surprised. Fear not. Um, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. I want to invite you to lean in this Lent with me and with the whole church when the trials come up. I'll tell you one thing I did last year was... There's a series of situations that were unfinished that I couldn't fix. You could call them trials, you could call them problems, whatever it might be. And I just made a list of things that I was giving to God and going, Lord, in this Lent, I want to see you work in my life. I want to see you work in these circumstances. And I just, I just kept it with me and would write down a new thought would come to mind of, yeah, I need to give that to the Lord as well. And I wrote it down. And, um, and over, over the, um, the weeks, I realized I needed to make a new card. I believe I made a new card in Eastertide, which was all the ways that the Lord had provided, all the ways that he had worked. And so I've got two cards and I see the trials and I see the provisions. And in both of them, I see the Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth, who's not going to let my foot be moved. And he's going to bring me through trials. And he's going to, in some cases, protect me from them. So I'm going to take a moment now just before the Lord, will we take a moment to present our pilgrim souls, our past, our present, our future to the Lord. I want to invite you to, um, to give to God. Um, maybe it's just in a form of a silent prayer, or maybe it's something that comes to mind that you want to write down, a trial that you're facing now on your pilgrim journey to Jerusalem. Maybe jot down some trials that you want to devote to him. And maybe put the date on there, March 2019. And let's just take a a couple moments
before the Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, in our journey to Jerusalem, we need your help. We need your presence. We thank you for this great playlist that you've given to us. We now devote our lives to you, and we ask that you would work powerfully in us and all around us this, this Lent into Holy Week and beyond. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.